know, this morning, while you remain standing, we're going to do something a little bit different. There are men and women that have pray, paid great prices and sacrifices for us to enjoy the things that we have today. I, I hold in my hand the word of the living God. This was placed in our hands because people literally shed their blood so that I could have the word of God in my language so that I could read it and understand it. Men like Wycliffe and Tyndale. And, and when, when the church had the word of God, basically the Catholic church had it locked away and it was written in Latin and people couldn't read it. They had to interpret it for them and they just, whatever they told them the Bible said, that's what people believed that it said. And because of that, we went into what was known as the dark ages. This is the light of the world. If you lock this away, you're, all that's left is darkness. And so men like Wycliffe and Tyndall, they said, we're going to take the Word of God and we're going to print it in the language people can understand. And they were rebuked. I believe it was Wycliffe and, a, and, a, and a, a priest told him, said, that book that you're writing is the only, it's not even fit for shopkeepers and plowmen. And he said, before I'm through, plowmen and shopkeepers will know the Word of God better than you. And they literally were martyred and killed so that we can have the Word of God today. And so I'm going to get some people to help me this morning. We're going to do a pledge to the Bible. We're going to do a pledge to the Christian flag and a pledge to the American flag this morning. So I've got some help for that. Joey, won't you come on up, honey? You can come this way, man. Now, we used to do this. I don't know if ever, anybody ever went to you. Stand right here, honey. You hold the Bible for me. How many of you went to VBS when you were a child? And they'd march in with the flag, and they'd always say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, to the flag. How many of you remember it? All right. <laughs> well, I want you to just say it real loud with me as we, as we pledge to the, to the Bible. Why don't you just place your hand over your heart? If you have a Bible, you may want to pick it up and hold it in your hand. It says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and I will hide its words in my heart that I may not sin against God. Amen. How many of you mean that? Amen. Thank you, Zoe. You did a great job, buddy. Give her a big hand. Let me have that, baby. All right. Where's, it? Where's Eli at? I got another little helper. Come on up here, buddy. Hold that for me. Stand right up there. Good job, buddy. All right, you want to place your hands over your heart? So I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all true Christians in service and in love. Thank you, buddy. You did a great job. Give him a big hand. All right. Benjamin, where are you, buddy? There he comes. Stand right here. There you go, partner. Stand right up there. Okay. Now, before we pledge the allegiance to the, to the American flag, I, I heard a story about the hotel, uh, Hanoi Hotel. How many of you know the Hanoi Hilton? How many of you know what I'm talking about? The Hanoi Hilton. Wow, okay, here's a history lesson for you. That was the POW camp for the Vietnam vets. It was in Hanoi. It was called the Hanoi Hilton. And there was a soldier there that took red, white, and blue string and sewed and put together an American flag inside of the clothing that they gave them to wear. And every night they would hang that up and they would stand and pledge allegiance to that tiny little flag. Well, the prison guards didn't know why they always faced that cl the clothing when they would do that, so they searched and found this. They destroyed it, took the man that it belonged to, and beat him till he was almost beyond recognition. And when they brought him back in, as he walked by, all of the soldiers said, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, because they said he was the flag. 
He was a Caucasian man. He was blue and was covered in blood. Said he is the red, white, and blue. He is the flag. And so men paid great sacrifices for our freedom. And we're here to honor that today. So if you would say it with me, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Give Benjamin a big hand, if you would, please. Thank you, Benjamin. Well, I, I didn't, couldn't find him. Okay. Okay. I'll let you do it the next time, buddy. I was looking for him. I couldn't find him. Okay, I'm in trouble with my grandson. All right. Before you're seated, let's pray for our nation. We've been doing the, the prayer. I hope you've been doing this. Today is June, July the 3rd. And uh, let me get the right place here. Yeah, July the 3rd, we're praying for the U.S. to acknowledge God because we, can, uh, we have no hope to be blessed as a people without honoring God. So, Father, we, have, we continue to pray this, Lord. We've been praying this, God. We pray for our nation today that the United States of America as a whole, God, we will acknowledge that we are still a nation under God. And, Lord, that we, people will acknowledge that. Lord, the majority of the American people do acknowledge the supreme power, supreme being. They recognize you as God. And so, Lord, we pray for our nation, God, that you will continue, Lord, to bless her, Lord, that you will guide her, and you will keep her safe now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Children, you can go ahead and head out for Children's Church. Parker, I'm sorry, little buddy. I'll, I'll get you next time, okay? Please forgive, Pappy. I looked for you, but I couldn't find you, son. Uh, just a real quick announcement before we get into the Word. Uh, some of you may not know, but... Uh, Pastor Joel's wife, Lori, her brother, his name is Buddy, Buddy Barnes, 57 years old. He passed away this week. And so um, they're going to be having his funeral Wednesday, July the 6th at 2 o'clock at Bliley's on Staples Mills Road. If any of you uh, knew Buddy or you know the Barnes family or, or Lori, and Lori, we're really sorry for your loss and, um, and your family. We're praying for you guys. Buddy was a good man. He was a godly man. And uh, he loved the Lord. He, his, he lived his testimony. You know, so we were really tr sad to hear that. So, amen. If you'll take your Bibles out with me this morning, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. <clears throat> Luke, chapter 16, verse 1. It says, He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking my stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house. In other words, how am I going to find another employment? In, in some places, if you don't have a letter of recommendation, another person will hire you. So he's like, what am I going to do to find another job? Verse 5. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Everybody say shrewdly. Say it real loud, shrewdly. He had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Boy, that doesn't sound right, does it? Make friends for yourself 
by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. For he is who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Father, I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that you anoint this time today. Father, I pray that you anoint the word, God. I pray your anointing will come upon me, Lord, as I declare the truth today, God. Lord, we welcome here in the sanctuary everyone that has come to celebrate you today, God. We, we're celebrating the 4th of July this weekend, God. But Lord, that in no way overshadows what we're here for. God, we're here to acknowledge the God of the universe, Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And Lord, we're to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your representative here, that no man can come to you except through him. And Lord, as we come today, Lord, I pray, Father, that you will just open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, that we may hear what you're saying to us today. And God, that we can be faithful stewards in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're looking here. We see a rich man slash businessman who has entrusted his steward. Now, he, he probably worked hard, I'm sure, to build his business. I don't know if any of you have ever built a business or not. But it is a lot of hard work. You have to scratch and sacrifice and work. I, I've never actually built a business. And although the church is not a business, it's kind of comparable to a business. We've spent a, a quarter of a century here now, a little over a quarter of a century, building this ministry. And I can tell you, if building a business is like building a church, it's a lot of hard work. And there's a lot of sacrifice. When we got here this morning, my wife looked at me and she said, Will it ever change? I'm like, what? She's like, we're the first ones here and the last ones to leave. I was like, baby, that is the calling. That's the calling. That's what we're called to, you know. And she wasn't complaining. She was chuckling, you know. We're delighted to do that, you know, because it takes hard work, and it takes a lot of dedication and commitment you have to save. Now, this man did, and his business grew. And so it grew so big, he hires a manager so that he could manage his work because it takes hard work and sacrifice to build a business, but it doesn't take very long for a business to collapse. I mean, you just look at what just happened over the past couple of years. COVID-19 hit, and people that spent their lifetime building businesses, they folded up just like that. More businesses have gone out of business and they may never reopen again. And even when management is excellent, it takes continuous effort to continue to succeed. Because if you don't continue to be a good steward, everything that you've worked for can be lost just like that. There's 543,000 new businesses that starts each month in America. Eight out of 10 will fail in the first 18 months that they start. The top eight reasons for businesses to fail is inexperience, a failure in communication, a failure to market the business very good, it's the services that they provide. Second thing is the unwise use of capital. Brother, if you don't use your money wisely, your business is not going to succeed. The third reason is nepotism. Showing favoritism to, uh, to people just because they're friends or you know them or they're relatives. The next thing is poor location. That was one of the things about the church here. When I, when I first started the church, I went to Louisa to meet the sexual presbyter. And he said, well, where are you thinking about? Because we actually, the district owns some land up in the town of Louisa. And I said, well, that's not where I feel like the Lord is showing me to plant this church. They said, well, show us where. So we drove down here, and I showed him the location. And he's kind of like, I, I don't see it. It's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, you know. But the Lord had spoken a prophecy that he wasn't aware of, that this church would not be a community church. It would be a regional church. 
like the hub of a wheel and the spokes go in every direction. People will come from all directions to attend here. And over the years, there's been people, we've had people as far away as Fluvanna County, Spotsylvania County, Powhatan, of course, Goochland, Louisa, Hanover. You know, it's a multi-county facility. So the location is important. And uh, uh, a lot of times businesses, they put their business in the long, wrong location. Uh, poor accounting, over-conservative. Sometimes you can be too conservative. I remember when we first started, brother, we had a brother that was doing our secretarial work, and we would spend money, and he's looking at the numbers. He's like, the, the money's not there. I'm like, listen, when you do big things for God, God will do big things for you. Just trust me, we're going to do this. And he said he was just absolutely blown away as he saw time after time after time. When we would step out in faith, God would meet that because we're following the leading of the Lord, you know. Because you can be over conservative. The McDonald brothers, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but the McDonald brothers, they started a business, a restaurant in San Bernardino, California. And they started cooking a full menu and the, the restaurant, their cooking was good, their food was good, so the restaurant did very well. And they come up with a bright idea of people pulling up in their cars and not having to get out of the car to get their food. So they went out to the car, they got these cute little girls with roller skates, and they roller skated out, took their order, went in, got their order, and brought it to them, and curb service was, was, was begun. And it went so well that they couldn't keep up with the orders. I mean, they're serving a full menu, so they cut it down to hamburgers, hot dogs, and french fries. And it still succeeded. So good that they opened a second restaurant on the other side of San Bernardino. Well, an investor came to them and says, I want to buy into your business and take it nationwide. And they like to laugh him out of the room. They said, nobody knows us outside of San Bernardino. So they sold him the franchise for McDonald's for pennies. They didn't succeed on a national level because their vision was two, two restaurants in San Bernardino. So a lot of times businesses don't succeed because you're too conservative. Brother, we, sometimes you have to step out in faith, amen? And, and we've done some big things. We started a building project in the middle of a recession because God said expand the tent. And so we did. And you're sitting in it today. It took us a long time, from 2009 to 2015, because we did a lot of the work ourselves. But sometimes you just have to step out in faith and do the things that God calls you to do. The last thing is, the next thing is dishonesty and then unseen disasters. But many things can cause a business to fail. But one thing for certain is when management is neglected, failure is certain. Now, an example of that, how many of you have ever seen old farms that was thriving, and you ride by there now, and the old barns are caving in? Uh, it, it, the, the fields are growing up. You, you see a guy, and he, he goes around the field mowing hay or whatever, and there's a limb growing out over the field. And instead of going and getting a chainsaw and cutting the limb down, they'll drive around the limb. And then the next thing you know, the woods have closed in and the hayfield has shrunk because they're not maintaining it like they should. I know if you go out uh, 522 here in Turnal Paines Mill Road, just before you get to 33, if you're familiar with that, there's a field on the right that's not a field anymore. It's a forest. And I remember when that was a mowed hayfield. And I don't know if the family passed away or what, but I watched this cedar tree started popping up in that field. And I'm like, I wanted to get in there with a bush hog and just cut those cedar trees down. I'm like, do you realize what it took to make that a hay field? I got four acres and we cleared it. It had trees on it that you, three of us couldn't wrap around, our arms around it. They were huge. And I cleared all four acres with a, with a tractor, and I did get a backhoe one time. And my wife said, if I have to drag one more piece of brush, I'm going to bray like a donkey. Because I know what it takes to clear the field. And I watched as it's grown up now. 
that field. It's a forest, and it's just, it was depressing to me. I remember the, the farm where my grandmother lived, and we would go there for our family reunion, and when I, went there as a, when I went there as a child, it was a child, it was a thriving farm. All the fields had corn, and they were tobacco farmers, and they had cattle, and they had pigs, they had cattle, and they had pigs, they had chickens, they had all of that. I mean, the first, my earliest remembrance of going to my grandmother's farm is they actually had a a fence that you came through the gate, a cattle gate, and the cows actually could walk around the house. Big house, 350-acre farm. And I stepped out of the car, and there was a cow looking at me going. And I started screaming. I thought that thing wanted to eat me. So I, I didn't know, but now you go back there, and the barns are falling down, fields are growing up. And that, how many of you know what I'm talking about? That is so sad because there was no management. It was neglected, and it, as a result, it fails. The thing is, when they cleared that land, they did it with mules. They did that with mules, rooting up stumps. and clear. A lot of the fields that we see today were cleared with mules. And if, if you cleared fields by the former generation... It makes the work easier for the But if it's neglected, grow over in no time at all. And you see, the rich man had worked hard to build his business, and he trusted it to this steward, and the steward failed to honor all of the hard work that his master had done. Now, in Luke 16, there's actually two stories there. One is the unjust steward. He had an, in, an attitude of, I'm just going to enjoy the fruit. I'm only going to do what I have to do because all the hard work is done. I just want to sit back and enjoy what the master has done. The second story is about a rich man and Lazarus. It's another man that neglected his duty. He neglected to do what was right. And instead, he chose to live in selfish comfort. Luke 16, verse 19, look at it with me. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in the torment of Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now what does the unjust steward and the rich man have in common? They both were comfortable and they both neglected to do the right thing because they were comfortable. All the hard work was done so they just sit back and enjoyed the fruit. One neglected the sacrifices of the past the sacrifices that had made that business successful was passed down to him. He didn't manage it. It's poor management. The other one ne neglected the sacrifice of the future, of caring for other people and sharing what he had. Their motto was, as long as I am comfortable. I don't honor the pain of those that went before me, and I don't feel the pain of those that's coming after me. Today we celebrate Independence Day. Well, actually, tomorrow is the 4th of July. This is the 3rd. April the 19th, 1775 to September the 3rd, 1783. It was eight years, four months, and 15 days the Revolutionary War was fought. There was 50,000 casualties that bought our freedom. They built our country. They provided our comfort. We need to honor all the hard work that they did. Amen? America needs to honor the hard work that they did. Some people say, well, what hard work? Out of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, most people don't know what happened to them. 24 of them were lawyers, jurists. 11 of them were merchants. 
Four of them were physicians. Nine of them were farmers and large plantation owners. Two of them were scientists. Two of them were clergy. Twenty-nine of the 56 signers had seminary degrees. Now, even though they weren't clergymen, they had a degree from a seminary. Over half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence had a degree from a biblical school. They were men of means, well-educated. They signed the Declaration with the understanding that if they were captured, they would likely be put to death. Five of them were captured by the British, and they were charged as traitors. They weren't just put to death, they were tortured, and they died as, in captivity. Twelve of them have their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in service to the Revolution. One had his son captured. Nine of them died from the wounds and hardship of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, he was a wealthy planter and trader, he saw his ship swept from the sea by the British Navy. So he sold his home and all of his property to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Died in rags. Thomas McKean, he was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay. Come on, somebody. I, 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 how many, I think I would almost vote for some of that today. People go into Congress as a middle-class middle citizen, they come out millionaires. Now, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. He served without pay while his family was kept in hiding. All of his property was taken, and he was forced to live out his days in poverty. Richard Stockton of New Jersey, he was a state Supreme Court justice. He returned to Princeton's estate to find that his wife and children were living like refugees after being betrayed by a Tory. Now, a Tory is a colonial that sympathized with Great Britain. Betrayed by the Tory sympathizer, they, he also revealed Stockton's location. The British took him captive. <clears throat> they threw him in jail, and they almost starved him to death. When he was finally released, he went home to find that his estate had been looted and burned. He had been so badly beaten in prison that he died from before the war ended. His surviving family lived the rest of their lives off of charity. Vandals and soldiers looted the property of William Emery of Rhode Island, George Clymer of Pennsylvania, Lyman Hall, who was a reverend, George Walton and Buton Quinnett of Georgia, Thomas Hugh Jr. and Edward Rutledge, an author Middleton, all of South Carolina. All their homes were, were looted and, and destroyed. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson, Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. He watched as his home was destroyed while he urged General George Washington to open fire on the, on the Nelson home. He died in bankruptcy. Francis Lewis had his home and property destroyed. The British jailed his wife, and she died a few months later. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children had fled for their lives. His fields were destroyed. His grist mills were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves. Returning home, discovered that his children had all vanished, and a few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Francis Lewis and Phyllis Livingston suffered similar fates. Historians write about these men, quote, such were the stories and the sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wild-eyed, rebel-rousing ruffians. They were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had security, wealth, property, and comfort. But they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged, quote, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states. They are absolved from all allegiances, to the British crown 
and that all policies, connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states might have a right to do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. Church, that's the men that gave us the freedom that we enjoy today. And the things that they sacrificed, the business that they built, that has been handed down to you and I, the stewards of that business. Are you hearing me, church? These men were wise stewards. They cleared the fields and invested in those who would follow after them, you and I. The parable of the story is clear. What are you investing in today? Are you like the unjust steward and the rich man? We just enjoy the fruits. I'm only going to do what I have to do because it's easy. We're comfortable. All the hard work's been done. I don't really have to continue to manage it. When management is neglected, failure is certain. If we're not mindful of the lesson of Jesus, we could be like the unjust steward and the selfish rich man. I don't honor the pain of those that went before me, and I don't feel the pain of those that's coming after me. Because the work is done. Just enjoy the fruit. Live in comfort. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Many in America looks like the overgrown farms. The hard work of our forefathers has made life so easy for us. But the fields has gone without proper management. We've enjoyed comfort, but have we and do we neglect our duty to honor the pain of those that went before us and to feel the pain of those that's coming after us? We want to be comfortable. That's true. The American people, we want to be comfortable. I remember when we, when we first built the church, if you go down the hall to the student center, the old sanctuary is on the left. Actually, the old student center is our second sanctuary. We actually began in my backyard. Then we moved into Pastor Joel's garage. Then we moved into the, where all the children's classrooms are on the right. That was all one big open room. Then we moved across the hall because, see, the roof, when you walked in, if it rained, you could take a shower in any room in the building, literally. The roof was in disrepair. So I took three-inch PVC pipe, capped it off, cut it into it, made a trough. Then I cut a hole in it, and we put a, a half-inch coupling in it, and we hung those under all the drips, piped them all together, run them to a floor drain, and put up a ceiling tile because we couldn't afford a new roof. All right? That's, uh, you sacrifices you make. And it was summertime, and there was no air conditioning. So we got a cart and two window units, and I put carpet over, and I rolled it up in front of the door, and it blew cold air in the sanctuary so we could have it make it bearable. And a family came and said, we'll be back when you get air conditioning. Remember, Joel? It's pretty comfortable in here, isn't it? I've never seen that family. We love our comfort. You know, there's people in third world countries that walk half the day, sometimes in the dark, in dangerous environments, sit on rocks in the church. We get up out of an air-conditioned home, running water, electric lights, get in a nice car with a nice radio and a good tires and all that. We drive in comfort. We get out in comfort. We come. I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are great and awesome, and I love them. But church, we need to realize why we have those things. And don't forget what it took to get them. We want to be comfortable. But the comforter doesn't promise that you're going to be comfortable. <clears throat> Jesus said he's going to send us a comforter. And that comforter is there to help us, not comfort us necessarily. Make it, he is there to comfort us, but not make us comfortable. There's a difference. John 16, look at it with me, verse 1. 
These things I have spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he's doing the will of God, doing God's service. Verse 3, and these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, and when the time shall come. Listen, that doesn't sound too comfortable. When they're putting you out of the synagogue, they're persecuting, they're killing you. And he said, when these times have come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, whether goest thou? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world. Come on, what is he coming for? He's not coming to make us comfortable. He's coming to comfort us in doing the things that we have to do. There are certain things that God has given us to do, and we must do them. And they're not comfortable. But he's there to strengthen you and comfort you while you do them, to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Eleven. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have, not, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come, and shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Comforter didn't come to make us comfortable, church. The job that we have to do to maintain the things, the sacrifices that's been made to pass this down to us, there are still sacrifices that have to be made to manage it, to keep the fields from overgrowing. Take time to get off the tractor and cut the limb off. Don't drive around it. It doesn't belong there. Remove it. There's still work to be done. And we have a duty to, to be faithful stewards of the things that's passed down to us. We need to be the keepers of the field. We need to honor the sacrifices of those who've cleared the land, those that's gone before us and gave us the freedom that we enjoy. We need to be compassionate steward of the wealth that we fare in sumptuously every day like the rich man and freely give it to somebody else, share it with others that's in need. One of the biggest hindrances, I believe, of the postmodern church is our comfort. It's our comfort. I made a note there, and I have no idea what it's talking about. I'm looking, because I hand wrote it this morning when I was going over my notes, and I'm like, why did I write that there? Oh, I see why it's there. A lot of times I put, I put until now we have persecution. Uh, I get it now. A lot of times we won't do anything until we're persecuted. Or we have a fear of losing something. As long as we don't fear losing it, it's like we, we don't do anything to keep it. But if you, if you think you're going to lose it, all of a sudden you get up and get busy. Church, we need to realize that, that freedom can be lost. If we don't do our part to, to, to fight for it and maintain it. But instead of sharing the, com the, the gospel a lot of times, we want to be comfortable. You know, I've heard people say, well, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. You ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you said it. I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that. Wearing a witness wear that talks about, you know, oh, I wouldn't be comfortable wearing that. Or even as a patriot, wearing an American flag. Like today, that's not even popular to, wear, to be a patriot in America because they're trying to revise history to make America look like a monster and to make our forefathers look like evil men and stuff. That's what's being taught in public education now. And it's a lie. It's all a lie. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about Christopher Columbus and how they're demonizing him. Because he went into, into the Caribbeans and, and, and he slaughtered a whole island of people. But it's like, do you know why he did that? 
because he went there, and I think it was, it was the Knibs. I, my, I, I can't remember the, actually the name of the group, but there was a tribe of people that welcomed them, and he was actually petitioning to make them citizens. They were friendly. He said, a friendlier people I've never seen. And he was befriending them. He was showing them modern conveniences to help them in their livelihood and stuff. He went away. When he came back, he came back to colonize that island. And when he got there, they were gone. And he found out our neighboring island, who were cannibals, the Caribs, had captured them. They had taken their women, was putting them in huts, and just using them to produce children for human sacrifice. And so he annihilated them because they were cannibalistic. They could not be converted. And he said, well, all he wants to do is subjugate the people. That's a lie. And the reason that he went on the crusades was to raise money to help the Christians fight the over 500 and something Muslim crusades that had already taken place. People just don't know their history. They, they revise it and, and twist it. Christopher Columbus was a godly man doing the will of God. And I could go into a whole history about our country. I know America is not perfect. She has done some things that was foolish. I understand that. And I don't defend that. But overall, listen, I, I preached a sermon one time as one, one frame doesn't make a movie. And if some of you know what I'm talking about, when I was in high school, we didn't have VCRs and stuff. We had reel-to-reel -reel projectors. This is way back where, you know, they brought it right off of Noah's Ark, you know. <laughs> How many of you remember reel-to-reel -reel projectors? Well, I was in the audio-visual age because I didn't want to go to study hall. It was boring. So I, I volunteered to be in the audio-visual audio age. So that means if a class wants to show a film, I push the cart down there with a projector on it, and I set up the reel-to-reel, -reel and I s projected it on the screen there in the class. Well, if you look at that reel-to-reel, -reel, it's a whole reel of tiny little squares. All right? And it takes the whole reel to make the movie. But if you take one of those little squares, you might misinterpret what that movie's all about. Because all you're looking at is that one little square. And historians have tried to take the things that America's done that was not honorable and make that the movie. Yes, we've done things that wasn't right. But the whole of the movie, America has been to, has fought for freedom and liberty and justice for all. And that's the movie. Yes, there's some bad frames in there. But one frame doesn't make the movie. Amen? I get a little passionate about that. And maybe we should be a little passionate about it. Amen? Doing the right things means being uncomfortable. What did he say? I'm sending the comforter to reprove the world of sin. That's not comfortable. To reprove the world, to be righteous, to reprove the world that you're going to stand before the judgment. And it's not comfortable. It's uncomfortable to stand alone and for your godly principles when everyone around you is choosing to believe these lies. And when they're insulting you and hurling insults at you, attempting to shame you into silence. If you stand for that, they call you, well, you're ignorant. You're, you're uninformed. You're a bigot. You're intolerant. You're judgmental. You're a fanatic. You're a hater. If you stand against LGBT, you're, you're a homophobe. You're, you're narrow-minded. You're closed-minded. You're anti-this and anti-that. You know, if you're anti-abortion, you're anti-same-sex marriage. No, I'm not anti. I am pro-life. Amen? I am pro-traditional marriage. But being called names, it is uncomfortable. Nobody likes being called a name. Uh, and a lot of times <laughs> that has resulted in coming to blows. I remember the last fist fight I got in high school, a guy called me a name. And that's all it took. And the buzz all went off. And we were getting it on just because he called me a name. I was not a nice person. A lot of people don't like to be called names. But church, the heroes of our faith didn't let the I might be called some bad name silence them. 
In fact, Matthew 5, 11, it says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So let them call you a name. Why should you care? Jesus was not politically correct. He was a radical in fact, he stood against the Supreme Court of his day. The, su the Supreme Court of his day was the Sanhedrin. John chapter 8, look at what he said to them. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin, or which of you can, can accuse me of any sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that hears, is of God hears the, God's word. Ye therefore hear not, because you are not of God. Church, we need to stand and declare, listen, if you don't believe this book, you're not of God. If you don't hold this book, there's people in the pulpit that is teaching things totally contrary to this book. And um, we need to call them out on that. Uh, you don't have to be mean about it. At different points in history, the Supreme Court has done some pretty radical things that was against the Word of God. 1962, nine men took prayer out of the school. They basically stood there and said that the nation of America has been wrong for centuries. Jesus stood before the Supreme Court and said, you're of your father the devil. Well, that Supreme Court group was of their father the devil, in my opinion. Now, they may stand and, and declare the ruling of the highest court in the land, but church, you stand and declare the highest ruling of the highest court in the universe. Amen? We declare the ruling of the highest court in the universe. Now, our fields are grown over. What can we do to reclaim the fields? Our fathers cleared those fields using mules. Church, we've got powerful equipment. We've got heavy equipment that you can clear fields with right now. My daughter and my son-in-law, Mark and Charity, they bought a house that had been in foreclosure. It had been empty for, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And the Land, the, the lot that it's on, it's about an acre and a half, I guess. I don't know. It was all trees. Probably the biggest ones were probably about two inches in diameter. Covered in trees. Now, it's just the way I'm built. I, I saw that. I was like, this is an absolute shame. I've got a 1955 International 300 tractor. When International, I don't know if you know anything about the Internationals, but they made the International H and the M and the Super M. They were all these big, long wheels on the back of the tricycle steering. All right, they're way antique tractors. Well, in 1955, they made the first utility tractor, like the 8N Ford. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they put that 300 engine in it, and it's got down pressure on the hydraulics. This thing is powerful, and it's old. It's only a year younger than I am. But, brother, that thing, I put a bush hog behind it. If the, if the tractor can push the tree over, that bush hog will, it'll rock and roll and beat and bang, but it'll chew it up. And I cleared that whole place. You go there right now, they can cut it with a zero-turn lawnmower. And I did it in about two days. Are you hearing me? Because we got heavy equipment now. We can clear land much quicker than our forefathers did. Luke 16, verse 8, look at this, what he said. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation as the sons of light. And I say, make friends of yourselves of the unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, that you may receive an everlasting home. He's not saying be unjust. He's saying do what you can do to make this right. You can reclaim the fields is what he's saying. Just as this man was shrewd in preparing for his future, even though it wasn't going to last, he saved what was remaining. 
we need to be shrewd in your preparation of, of using uh, your time wisely and, and, and securing your eternal future. The word shrewd means having or showing a clever awareness or resourcefulness, especially in practical matters. In other words, we need to be actively involved in doing what our forefathers did using the powerful tools that we have to get it done. We're doing that right now. This morning there's cameras in here, and I'm preaching just, not just to this audience that's sitting in this room. We're preaching across the United States and around the world this morning, church. That is a powerful equipment that we can use to get the truth out to counteract the lies that's being taught in the public education system, America. You're being lied to, and you've been lied to. And we need to use the equipment that we have to reclaim the fields that's growing over with these lies about what's happened in our history. Now, the Bible says, for the sons of this world, they are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. How are they more shrewd? They plow the field, they plant the field, they harvest the field. We just seem to wait for the crops to come in. And that's what America's been guilty of. We are so comfortable. It's all been done. I don't have to do anything. Just like the unfaithful steward. I don't have to do anything. Just let the crops come in. I'm comfortable. Why do I have to do anything? It's all been done. And Jesus talks about the wheat. He said, while they, they slept, they went out and sowed tares in the field. And then the tares are coming up among the wheat, and they say, well, what will we do? Go pull up the tares. He's like, no, if you pull up the tares, you'll destroy the whole wheat field. You bring in the harvest, I'll separate them. Church, we need to be out bringing in the harvest, though. And there's, there's been a lot of bad stuff going on, and we sit back and don't do our part. It's going to continue to be bad. Now, how would this apply today? Luke 16 is talking about a world system using organized, systematic approach to achieve their goal. They're plowing and planting and harvesting. They work very patiently. The church, on the other hand, just sits back comfortably and silently while the next generation is laying at our gate begging for help. Are you hearing me, church? Let me say that again. The next generation is laying at the gate begging for our help. But are we guilty of not feeling the pain of those that went before us? Not feeling the pain of those that's coming after us? We must become loud, the loud majority, not the silent majority. Don't be ashamed into a silence. The minority in America has accomplished more because they speak out. They organize. They have a systematic approach to achieve their goal. The children of darkness, they patiently work into positions for change. And they do. To reap the harvest in the political arena, they use their shrewdness. How do they do that? They target areas that's going to have the best return to accomplish their goal. There's three areas that they have targeted throughout history. They target the media, the public education system, and the legal system. That means public office and judicial systems. They target them. I mean, listen to the media. How much media can you turn on that gives you a truthful, honest reporting? There is no journalism in America anymore. There's very little. It's all propaganda to push a narrative, all of it. And they have strategically and systematically worked on owning the, the media, owning the airways. Twitter shutting down people that says things that they don't like. Whatever happened to freedom of speech, which is our first, the First Amendment, the freedom of the press, the First Amendment, what happened to it? The shrewdness of the evil of this nation has systematically shut it, taken it over. 
the public education system. That's one reason I am really weary of the digital world. Because at the push of a button, they can rewrite history. I like hard print. But you don't just tear that up and rewrite it. I mean, you don't push a button and change all the wording in it. The legal system, being in public office and the judicial system, they understand that strategy changes the culture. The culture drives politics, and politics makes law. Let me say that again. Strategy changes the culture. The culture drives politics, and politics makes the law. They understand this. They're shrewd. He said they're more shrewd than the children of light. To accomplish your goal, Jesus said, use the mammon to make friends. What is he talking about? Use the mammon to make friends. What he means is copy their strategy. Copy their strategy. If they're more shrewd than I am, watch what they do and learn from that and do the same thing. And finally, the church of Jesus Christ is wising up because before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, Christian groups opened up women health clinics all over the nation. You may not know this. And they had the appearance of being an abortion clinic. Only when you came in, they gave you an ultrasound. And they showed you that that's not a blob in there. That's a, little be, that's a little person in there. And although that might be your body and you make choices over it, who's making the choice for that little body in there? They'd show the little heartbeat. Pumping blood through the stream of this little person inside of you. If she went in there to get an abortion, all of a sudden she's looking at her child, a living human being, because the Bible says that the life of all flesh is in the blood. If there's blood in there, there's life in there, and there's a life of an individual that doesn't have a choice. And so they counsel them, and they give them alternatives. We can help you with, with your birth. We can, if you don't want the child, we'll help you find adoption, and we'll give you a, an opportunity to let this child have a life. And many, many women that went in there to get an abortion came out and gave life to their child. And the abortion industry was irate because they're appearing to be an abortion clinic. One thing they did not offer in those clinics was an abortion. It had all the appearance. Come on, we were shrewd too. Huh? Use their mammon. Learn. Be shrewd. They weren't being dishonest. They never said they were an abortion clinic. It's a women's health clinic. I mean, what does what uh, the United Way and uh, Planned Parenthood and all that, what guys do they go under? Women's health. What do they do about women's health? Little to nothing. What do they do? They murder children by the millions. Nothing to do with women's health. So it's not being deceptive. Women's health. They were helping women. So we need to get involved, church. How can we be shrewd? Get involved. Strategize, organize, develop a system. Something's going on, show up at the school board. We had a big, big thing that just happened in last year. And I don't go to all school board meetings. I rarely go, but I went to that one. I was the first one on the docket. I signed my name. I, I want to get up. I got something I want to say. And I'm asking them, I'm like, can you assure me? Because I had two school teachers that was in, in that room that had to teach in this public school system here. I said, can you assure me <clears throat> that, that my school teachers are not going to have to call a student by a pronoun contrary to their, their gender? And I said, listen, this is America. I, I protect freedom. I defend freedom. If a person believes that they are Bugs Bunny and they want to call themselves Bun Bunny, I, def- I support their right to call themselves Bugs Bunny. I defend their freedom to call themselves anything they want to call themselves. 
But it's not right to force me to enter their world of delusion and pretend and make believe. You have now deprived me of my freedom and my rights. And can you assure me that you're not going to force a teacher to call Bugs Bunny Bugs Bunny and enter their world of make believe? Call them out. I ask them, can you assure me? Because they're asking for same-sex bathrooms. That you're not going to let boys go into the girls' locker room or go, go into the girls' bathroom. Call them out. Yes. Yes. Stand up. Run for city council. Yes. See, there's some people that's got a call for this. You just, maybe you know that, and you're just resisting it because it's not comfortable. It takes sacrifice. It takes hard work. Yeah. Run for election to be a county supervisor. Run for office. Yeah. A senator. Yeah. We just had a congressman here a few weeks ago. And he said the last thing I wanted to do was be a congressman. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I knew that God had called me to do this. And so he stepped out of his comfort zone. And he's now serving in Congress as a Christian to stand up for Christian principles. If we sit comfortably in our churches and homes like the rich man and remain silent in the world and ignore the need, freedom will be lost. When management is neglected, failure is certain. We need to speak up about our faith and use the social media to do that. Come on, that is our power equipment. And I encourage you to do that. We're we're doing that this morning. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. When we first started the church years ago, the, the, the Lord spoke in a service one day and said, even though you're a small entity on the planet, you will have global effect from horizon to horizon and from pole to pole. That's the entire globe. I had no idea how that was going to come to pass. And I didn't know if it was actually a word of prophecy from God. Maybe somebody just made that up. You know, we can make up some pretty cool stuff, you know. I've heard some prophecy, thus saith the Lord, and I'm waiting for heaven to say, I'm saying, no, I didn't. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a funny story that had nothing to do with the sermon because it just popped into my head about that. This pastor, he invited a guest speaker one time to his church. And uh, this lady came up and said, Pastor, I've been praying. I don't think you ought to invite him. He said, well, I'm sorry, but I've been praying. I think God told me to invite him. So she, he invited the guest speaker. The guest speaker got in the pulpit, and just about time he's ready to open his mouth, that little woman stepped out now. She said, thus saith the Lord, thou thinkest thou art a humdinger, saith God. But thou art not a humdinger, saith the Lord. Thou art just a dinger. And the man that he was telling that to, he said, Lord, have mercy. He said, what did you do? He said, brother, I froze at the controls. He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, about that time, the guest speaker, he saved the day. So he just busted out in a belly roll laugh. The whole church erupted in laughter. That lady stomped out the back door and said, I'm never coming back here again. Sometimes we can say, thus saith the Lord, and God didn't say it. But this happened to be one of those times, thus saith the Lord, and it came to pass. Because even though we're a small entity on the earth, we're using power equipment to keep the fields maintained. We're getting the truth out all across the United States and around the world. You can't lose with God, church. And it's not always comfortable, but you will win as long as you put God first and do what he's told you to do. Do the right thing. When you're criticized, because they're going to say, well, you just pick and choose. You just pick on the LGBT community. Or you just pick on drugs and people that do drugs. Or you just pick on alcohol. Well, what about gluttons? You don't ever talk about gluttons. Or what? And they go down the list of things you don't talk about or they don't think you ever talk about because it seems like you just pick and choose. So what are they trying to do? Shame you into silence. It's one of their tactics. It's their shrewdness. Forget about being comfortable. 
Make being comfort uncomfortable your new comfort zone. Make being uncomfortable your new comfort zone. And just remember this, there's many topics that need attention. And if there were 100 topics that you could choose to discuss just because you're silent on 99, doesn't make the one you're talking about less valid. So use the media. Don't, don't rant. Be respectful. Inform people. Speak the truth in love. Let the Word of God speak. 2 Timothy says this, verse 4 and 5, and I'm going to close with this. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Would you stand with me, please? Church, we don't need to march on Washington. Or take up arms against our government to defend our freedom. We do need to speak up, though. Be counted, be heard. What am I forgetting? I see you moving over here. Thank you. Let me put it in my hand so I don't forget. We do need to speak up. You know, I just picked that up and it just, I had a flashback. You know why we need to speak up? We think that everybody in America knows about Jesus. But we had a family member went to, um, I think it was a wedding. And it was an old traditional church and there were stained glass windows. And it was a stained glass window with a cross in it. And one of our family members, little boy, said, look, there's a sword in that window. He didn't even know what the cross was. I remember another family member that came to our children's department. When we first planted the church, my daughter Charity was teaching the class, and she's, she's asking him now, who died on the cross? And he's going, um, 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 well, who was, who was born in the manger? And he's going, and she burst out crying. This is her relative, didn't even know the story of the virgin birth, the manger scene of Calvary. Church, if we sit silent, the fields grow over. And we will be unfaithful stewards. Are you hearing me, church? Don't let them shame you into silence.